Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. If you're interested in buying a short-term rental in one of the top vacation markets in America, just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected with an Agent. If you purchase a home with the shop, you'll have access to all of our client-only benefits, such as training on how to manage your short-term rental. So we'll teach you everything you need to know from how to set up your Airbnb and Verbo listings to how to use the property management software that you'll need to streamline your business, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners, handy people, etc. We've taught thousands of people just like you how to buy and manage their vacation homes from anywhere in the world. So head on over to the shorttermshop.com and click get connected with an agent to get started. I do have to mention that we're brokered by eXp or else I get in trouble. We'll see you guys over there. Hey guys, welcome back to the short term show. Today I have a very special guest named Kim Daly. So I have had an interest in franchises for a little while, and I think some of you might have too, and I've never done anything with them. It's just been something that I've been like, oh, you know, we've got a bunch of short terms. We've got a bunch of long terms. What other kind of businesses can we diversify into? And so I wanted to get someone on in case there's other, in, in case more of you are interested in it like I am, but don't really know where to start because I have listened to a few podcasts and like done a little Googling, but that's about the extent of it. So I've got Kim here, who's an expert in franchises. I'm really excited to have on today. How's it going, Kim? No, no, it's going great, Avery. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So why don't we start by you just telling us a little bit about yourself? Okay, so I'm a franchise consultant, which what does that mean? <laughs> So for the last 20 years, I've been helping people learn about franchising, right? Understand what the real value proposition is, even help them to select the right types of franchise investments for their goals, their background, their interests, their finances. Um, so I'm kind of like the matchmaker, the franchise matchmaker, and that I, I put people together with good franchisors. I coach their due diligence process so that they can you know, confidently say yes, and sometimes no, because sometimes it's not the right investment for everybody. Um, and that's what I do. I've been doing that for the last 20 years. That is really interesting. And I have a lot of questions and I'm going to try to not jump around. So if I'm, so I'm brand new and I think like, maybe I'd like to own a franchise, but I have no idea what industry of a franchise, like, do I want a yogurt shop? Do I want like a fitness franchise? I have no idea. So for somebody like me, if somebody like me comes to you and says, Hey, you know, I've got some money and I want to open something up. I want to start another business. Where do I start? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. And you know what, this is really why I have a business because most of the time, Avery, when people think about owning their own business, they think about what they know, or they may think about like what their community needs. Oh, my community doesn't have a UPS store, right? So, but if the if that business doesn't match their core skills or is not an investment that's a comfortable investment for them, and more, most importantly, doesn't produce the type of financial return that they're looking for for that investment of time and money, it's it's not going to be a good investment, no matter whether your community needs it or not. So. 
our conversation, when you ask me, Kim, I want help. I really don't know what options are out there. I don't know what the right thing is for me. I'm I, What I'm really, really interested in is the vision for your future. So once people can communicate to me personally, professionally, and financially, what they want to achieve over the next five to 10 years, because this is a long-term investment, right? Like it's not like you're going to invest in a business and try to sell it in three years. I mean, you might, if you hit the jackpot and the brand blows up and, you know, somebody offers to pay you a million bucks and go away. Sure. But more than likely you're building this for three to five years before you're considering an exit strategy event. Right. So it's five to 10 years of visioning and where do you want to be and what kind of owner in a business do you want to be? Are you looking to dive in full time? Are you looking to be some, what we call semi-absentee? So a franchise will never be truly passive, like a business needs a leader. And probably that's the same thing in real estate as well, right? Maybe you build your portfolio to a place where you have all the right team of people that it is more hands-off for you, but it didn't start out that way. Well, the same thing would be true in a franchise, right? So you can get it to that. Um, and some businesses will start even with as little as 10 or 15 hours a week by the owner scaling back to five hours a week once it's up and things are going. But the average franchise investment that we would call semi-absentee is probably more like 15 to 20 hours in the beginning. But it really all comes back to the owner's leadership skills and their ability to actually leave it alone. So that's where our conversation begins, like with the end. I want to know where do you want to end up? Because I look at the franchise as the vehicle that's just going to drive your life to that new place. And the more clearly people can communicate to me what that new place is, the clarity of those dreams is really the gas in that vehicle. It requires both the gas and the car. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. So you said something about exit strategy. So do most people who start, you know, who invest in a franchise, do they start it as like, a, okay, I'm going to have this for the rest of my life. This is my income for the rest of my life. Or do most people start with a, an exit strategy in mind? Like, okay, I'm going to grow this thing. And in five years, I'm going to sell it for, you know, five X or, you know, I don't know what the multiple is for franchises, but whatever that number is, what, what do most people do this for? So uh, another really good question. And so if they're working with me, we're absolutely talking about an exit strategy because I've been doing this for 20 years. I totally realized that like when someone tries to make an investment that they feel has to sustain them for 15 or 20 years, the decision is so weighty. They can't make a decision. It's like, there's way too many unknowns. There's too much uncertainty. Take the pressure off of that. Right. And even if somebody's setting them, you know, like building a business for their kids, like, yeah, but I'm doing this to pass it on to my kids and I'm leaving a legacy. I'm like, you know what? Look, let the legacy be the role model that you are as the parent who dared to invest in his or her own dreams, start a business. And if that business ends up being something that is able to be passed on, awesome. But if the legacy is simply that you dared to believe in yourself and start a business and build it and sell it, and now they want to be a business owner, well, that's a pretty amazing legacy too. It just helps people like make decisions. There's, there's so many places where exploring a franchise can get very heavy. Again, this is why I have a business to help people really kind of navigate around those landmines, those pitfalls 
the assumptions, false expectations, so that when they say yes, number one, so they can say yes. <laughs> and then when they say yes, they feel like excited about it. There's always a little bit of like um, angst, you know, I mean, look, it's, you're trying something new. You're, you're stepping out of your comfort zone. I'm not going to say that saying yes to a franchise investment feels like, oh yeah, like there's no nerves at all. Even, you know, my most established investors and former business owners have a little bit of angst and you know, the average person I'm helping has never owned a business. So they're totally nervous, but they're also more excited about what they're going to create. The people that they're going into business with, because franchising is a partnership and the opportunity that's in front of them. So that excitement should outweigh that angst. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think the the starting a business, so say I, I'm 34 right now. Yeah, 34. So the idea of starting a business now to leave to my kids who are only two and four just seems like kind of a really crazy idea because A, that's a long time till they're going to be old enough to be running any businesses. And B, what if they're like, now, F you mom, I don't want to run your McDonald's or whatever it is. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to be a rock star, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. So that just seems like an unrealistic expectation of oneself and unnecessary pressure put on one's children. <laughs> so right. I, yeah, I think that's kind of, that's a little bit crazy. <laughs> right. I love the idea of the legacy. And, and again, like I said, let it be the role model. And there are some franchise businesses that are essential services that regardless of how the world changes, they're always going to be needed. I mean, though, but even those franchise models may be adapting the way they deliver their product or service to the customer over a 15 or 20 year period, you know, because a business is a dynamic thing, right? So people, this is another thing, like people start thinking about a franchise and they start making up all the what ifs. Well, you know what? That's why you're doing this in a franchise. You don't have to figure everything out on your own. You're in a partnership with people that are really driving that ongoing research and development to keep your business changing and growing. If your business isn't changing and growing, it's dying. So you're, the whole thing of exploring a franchise is about finding people that have a vision for bringing a brand to market. They have a past that demonstrates they're smart enough to get to this moment. They've built something that's profitable and have some amount of tools and systems that they can share with you, but you're not buying the business for the past. You're buying it for where it's going. You know, you're looking at the future potential with these people and whatever they've created today as tools, knowing that those tools are going to grow, the opportunity is going to grow, and you want to be a part of that growth. So you're raising your hand saying, please pick me to take your brand back to my market in Dallas, Texas, and go make something of it. So this whole franchising investment really becomes a mutual evaluation process where both the franchisor, which is the corporate entity, and you, the franchisee, you're, you're dating each other to try to figure out, is this a good match? Do you, you know, they're looking at you saying, are you coachable? Are you open-minded? Are you looking for growth and not just financial growth? Everybody wants that. But you know what comes first, Avery? Personal and professional growth, right? The money follows you when you become the business owner worthy of the million-dollar business, then you'll have the million-dollar business. So the franchisor is looking at you and trying to evaluate, are you going to be coachable and adaptable and grow with them? 
while you're evaluating them to say, hey, does your track record make sense to me? Do do I like your culture? Do I like the way that your franchisees speak about you and the future that they're looking forward to? Does that align with me? And I'm like the, you know, I'm the guide kind of like navigating the candidate through that so that they can stay open and kind of like help them point out where they may be believing an assumption because we all have them you know and instead of like asking questions around that objection they get stuck there and go well it's not going to work in my market for x y and z reasons so that's part of what i do as well helping them navigate their own mindset so to speak and the assumptions that they're making that may or may not be true we all get stuck in our own ways and we we all believe that we are the experts right so yeah yeah and sometimes you just need a gentle reminder to be like hey man like that may be true but like let's go let's go ask some people who are already running the business to just just make sure right and validating with other franchise owners is a really important part of investing in a franchise. It's one of the greatest things. Like if you're trying to buy a private business for sale and you're you know, looking at the books and you're talking to the owner, but you have no other frame of reference, that's all you have, you know? So franchises, they sell for higher multiples and they say they sell faster than their mom and pop counterparts because the potential investor coming in doesn't just take your word for it, the owner, right? Who's trying to sell them something. They can go validate with the family of franchisees to see like from everybody else's perspective, what does a top performing store look like? Or what does a struggling store look like? Or, you know, what are, what are owners waking up and doing? What is the future of this business? And then they can take that back to that resale and gives them better context to evaluate the asking price and what they're actually looking at. So that whole validation process, whether you're starting from scratch or buying an established franchise that's for sale, it's a very valuable part of exploring a franchise. That's really interesting. So I've only ever really thought about a franchise in terms of starting a new one. Maybe because so I have a I came into by accident. I wasn't looking for a commercial space, but one of my short term rentals is a mixed use townhome that has a commercial storefront in the bottom of it. Right now, it's just my office so that I can get out of my house. But um, I've always thought of it just from a standpoint of, oh, I have this commercial space. Maybe one day I'll put a franchise of something in there. But that's really interesting that you can, I didn't hadn't thought about it, although it's very obvious that you can buy an existing franchise that someone else has started. So are there any pros and cons to just starting fresh, going straight to the franchisor and starting there or buying someone else's business? Is one cheaper? Is one easier? How does all that work? You know what, Avery, it comes back to the investor's goals. So some people who are like been severed from corporate America and they're looking to jump into a franchise, they may need to buy that cash flow. So looking at an established business for sale may be a better bet if you need cash flow right away. But you better believe if that's a good business with cash flow, you're going to be paying some multiple, like you said earlier, some multiple of that, right? And that multiple will depend on the the industry you're in, the economy at the time that you're going to buy the business, right? There's a lot of depends in that. Also, a big factor to that multiple before we I go back to the original question is um, like where in the brand, uh, where like in the brand development is that brand? So when I'm coaching people, I'm talking about, you know, do you want to come in as the pioneer kind of lifting a brand? Like imagine most people have heard of Massage Envy, right? Have you heard of Massage Envy? Okay. Oh, yeah. So- 
Massage Envy was the inventor of the membership massage. Before Massage Envy, like, what the heck was a membership for massage, right? So there was a time when Massage Envy pioneering owners were out there educating the marketplace about what a monthly membership would get you for massage. Well, today, we all know what a membership gets us. There's tons of competition. So, But those pioneering, the forefathers, if you will, of Massage Envy, that probably spent the first 17, uh, five to seven years building that brand in the key markets in the country, when the whole world woke up and everybody was like, what's this membership thing? I, I want to own one of these massages. Well, there was no more really good territory left. When the world wakes up and people start saying, what is this? I want to own one. The reality, the reality is they're, re they're seeing it everywhere. And that's probably where there's major market penetration of the brand. And so there's no really good A plus locations left. So that's when those pioneering franchisees have their greatest exit strategy moment where they can be like, oh, well, there's none left in Dallas, but if, I just keep talking about Dallas, but any market, but if you want, if you want to buy mine, I'll put a six multiple on that and you can pay me and I'll go away. And, and Massage Envy franchisees enjoyed that kind of moment. Now, Massage Envy didn't hold on to those type of multiples, right? It was just a moment in time for that brand and in the marketplace. And there's so many other brands that have enjoyed that sort of moment. So when I'm working with an investor, we are going to talk about, again, your goals, the your risk tolerances, and do you want to be part of that? pioneering beginning where there's not going to be as much data and proof, but there's going to be a plus territory and lots of it. And if, if the brand wakes up and becomes the next thing, which we've got to look at the, the founders and say, what have they done before this? That gives us the belief that they can get there. But if it wakes up, then you could be that person selling it to the person who doesn't have the risk tolerance to get in at the beginning, but is willing to pay you for it. Right. So that, you know, whether you go new or whether you buy established kind of comes back to what is your goal? How quickly do you need cash flow? And that's not to say that if you start new, you can't live off a business quickly, but you've got to make sure, you know, you're investing in the right business that cash flows fairly quickly. So as a franchise consultant, I don't really work the resales that much. I don't have like a database of existing business for sale. That's more of a broker. I, my service is free um, because I get paid by franchisors to bring them new candidates for new growth. So they actually pay me to do all of the prospecting and qualifying and to match people up so that they can invest their time with higher caliber people. This is all so fascinating. I'm going to become a client, by the way, after this. So um, I don't even know where to start with my next question. So I guess let's, I know the listeners just like me are like bubbling to ask about um, your recommendations for brands, which I'm sure you probably can't give on the air, but let's talk about the structure of, so I'm, I'm a new franchisee. I'm going to start something. What is a typical, and I know everything's going to be different, so I'm not trying to trip you up here. What's a typical franchisee franchisor structure look like? Um, as I know, there are some that you probably have like a $10,000 startup cost and some that have like a million. So what's a good range if you can give it, or if there's, if it's not too wide. Oh yeah, no, no, absolutely. So 
there are franchise investments that are all in maybe forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, and there are franchise investments that are three, four, five million dollars. So at any one time, it's been said that there are over three to four thousand franchise opportunities on the market. Like, so I mean, I think going it alone, I mean, it, it has to be the most daunting task. How do you even know where to begin? And that's what I said in the beginning. People think about what they know or they think about what their community needs but we're not investing in hobbies. We're not trying to buy something where you end up putting yourself in on the ground floor, ex exchanging your time for money. That's not a business. So you, franchising does not need you to be experienced in the industry or the particular type of business for you to go on and become rookie of the year or the number one franchisee. I need people with basic business skills, sales skills, operational skills, management skills, and then we look at the skills that you want to deploy in your business or don't want to. We align that up with the time factor that you want to be in. We, I'm going to be able to correlate to you. So with every candidate I work with, one of the very first calls I have is to teach them what their money buys. So before I ask you, well, what do you think is a good level of investment? It's an, un, it's, it's an uneducated question. And you're, I don't know what kind of answer I'm going to get because you don't even know what your money buys. There's this whole myth out there that like the big established brands cost more than the pioneering brands. Absolutely untrue, right? A McDonald's franchise fee is not a million dollars. You know, um, the, the franchise fee is the one-time fee that you give to the franchisor that buys you access to everything they've created, their business plan, their, their marketing, their training, their technology, right? So a, a McDonald's investment is you know, two or two million or more because it's a very high tech kitchen and that costs a lot of money to build. So franchisors aren't jacking up the cost of starting a business and more established brands don't cost more than pioneering brands. Let's go to the statistic that 90% of startup businesses fail. So when you dive into that statistic, because I have and like, what the heck happens to entrepreneurs? Why do so many businesses fail? They fail because the entrepreneur grossly underestimated how much money it was going to take and how long it was going to take to build a positively cash flowing business. So over here where people are like, oh, franchising is expensive. It's like, no, <laughs> if they've opened 200 markets, you know, through franchising, they know 200 times over, what it's going to cost for you to build a positively cash flowing business. So let me give you a specific example, Avery. In, in like a residential cleaning company, let's just pick a brand like Molly Made. Most people have heard of that. So Molly Made all-in investment is somewhere between 150 and 200,000. So people are like, like I could go start a cleaning company with $10,000. Like how dare they like charge that much money? Okay. They're not charging that. So let's break down that investment. The first 50,000 or so is probably the franchise fee, which is the fee that if you're an entrepreneur, you don't have, but what else you don't have? You don't have systems. You don't have experience. You don't have knowledge of a customer. You don't have a proven marketing plan. You don't know how long it's going to take to build a customer base. You don't know how many customers you're going to need. You don't know what the market's going to bear in terms of pricing. You know nothing. So that trial and error learning curve is it worth 50 grand? Most entrepreneurs who started a business from scratch always say 100% yes. 
entrepreneurs are the easiest people to talk into the value of a franchise. Okay, so that's the first 50 grand. The second 50,000 or so is probably the marketing budget. So this is where entrepreneurs lose it because they're thinking about cleaning people's homes. The franchise is thinking about finding customers to clean because <laughs> that's what makes you money. <laughs> so if they can show you that within, let's say two years, you build a seven figure business that nets to you, I don't know, 20%, let's say, right? So how many mom and pop cleaning companies out there are making a million bucks in two years? Like none, because the mom and pop person is cleaning every toilet and shower that he or she is signing up. This is an executive model where you, the CEO, are managing teams of people, hiring, training, building the camaraderie. You're leveraged through KPIs. So you're able to like look at the efficiency of every cleaning crew. You're looking at your marketing spend and knowing exactly how many calls were generated from the dollars you spent and how many of them got converted into an in-home estimate. And then how many of those in-home estimates got converted into new customers? You're looking at retention. I mean, this is an executive style business where owners are working on it, not in it. You're not cleaning showers. You're managing a service industry. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And you, I don't think you even realize this when you picked this example, but with a short-term rental business, we see that a lot with cleaners. So um, a lot of times the people who are really good at going in and cleaning the houses, they have a hard time scaling because they have that, well, I can do this myself. Why would I come up here and do this management thing? And they never really can scale past a few houses because they just are too busy working in the business rather than on the business. So we see a lot of cleaners um, end up getting out of the business because they just burn themselves out. They burn out, totally, absolutely. And never really building the life that you're aspiring. Look, if you're trading your time for money, it's not a business, it's a job. <laughs> now, some businesses require the owner to start there, especially if you wanna be making the money rather than paying a manager, right? But you can't get stuck there. If you wanna build something, so, to, to kind of like summarize that whole thing. Like, so if you, if I take somebody who's like Kim, I'm worth, you know, $350,000 a year in corporate America or in my former life. And that's what I want to make in my business. So we can come to the idea of a franchise and go, okay, so maybe that's going to take you, maybe, you know, let's take a traditional, you know, a little yoga studio business that net, you know, top line revenue is a half a million, maybe it nets to the owner 150 run through a manager and a small team. So you're like, okay, so I want to make 500,000. So you need at least three of those, right? But so in a three to a four year time period, I can take that executive owner who can learn how to leverage their money through bank lending and through the cash flow of previous, um, you know, yoga studios, to then scale to those three locations and get them open. Sometimes within one, two, three years, they have all three up and operating. And now we're just going to perfect each operation. But how many, again, how many mom and pop yoga studios ever have more than one location? They don't because the person who opens it is the yoga instructor over here. Yeah. I might need somebody who loves fitness, but they don't have to be a yoga instructor. They want to manage the people who are passionate about teaching yoga right? They may love to take class and be present in their, in their studio as the owner, but they're not teaching classes. If they are, they're not building a business, right? So in that three to five year time period, you can have your, you know, be building toward your, your 350 or more income 
and what again, what I would call semi-absentee, not absentee, because your businesses still need you. Those those yoga instructors need they need to know you. They need to they need to be inspired by your vision and right. They need to have that camaraderie, and that comes from leadership. But it's not a set schedule. It's not a full time job. It's a flexible schedule, and it's a part time job. Right. And if it's building you cash flow and providing you tax advantage and something that you're proud to say you own and you get to get up every day and go in there and like, you know, be excited to see the community of followers and women becoming friends who, you know, take a class together and then end up leaving to go get coffee. And, you know, you get to wear the shirt proudly in your community and people know you. Oh, wow. You're the owner of that. Like that's that's what we want to do as owners. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. Yeah. So I, I'm very interested. You keep saying, um, semi-absentee. So the one time, I'll just give a quick anecdote. One time uh, that my husband and I got far enough to like call a sales rep at a um, a franchise. So we were on the road. We were in our motorhome for a month with our kids and we were on a really long drive. And he was like, why don't you just call them up? You know, we got a six hour drive. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and oh my God, the call could not have gone worse. It was with a, with a tire company that some people in a, a bunch of people in the mastermind that my husband used to be in were like, yeah, you got to get one of these. We're getting these, we're getting that. And so we call them and we're like, yeah, you know, we have this much money. Uh, we've got a bunch of different other businesses. So we don't want to be like full time in this. And they made us feel like the biggest pieces of shit for not wanting to be in that tire store for 14 hours a day and have like the name of it on the, on the truck and like all this stuff. And we're like, no, no, we would like to manage people. We're fine with that, but no, we don't personally want to be in there like selling tires every day. And they made us feel, we got off the phone and we're like, man, we suck. And <laughs> so um, that semi-absentee is what interests me the most. And I think what would interest our listeners the most, because most of our listeners are either interested in investing in short-term rentals or already do, and maybe they've left their corporate job and they're, you know, looking for ways to scale their businesses in ways that are semi-absentee or absentee altogether, but that would be, you know, like an apartment building, not this. So um, that semi-absentee is really interesting to me. Is there a specific industry of franchises that lends itself better to that semi-absentee model than others? Yeah, it's awesome. It's not a particular industry, Avery. It's just a characteristic of how the business was set up. So some franchisors are savvy enough to realize that if they can create a model that can be manager run, they can attract higher level of investors who are going to own bigger businesses, which means bigger royalty dollars for them with fewer people to manage. <laughs> so the franchisors, again, who have the vision for what they ultimately want to create, they start out by building the systems and technology that a semi-absentee owner would need. For example, there are franchisors in the home services space that 
will take your advertising dollars from you, spend them for you. So they're going to manage all of your Google, you know, your search engine optimization, socials, because listen, if you're a homeowner looking for a gutter or power washer or roof or whatever it is, you're not, that's, you're probably going to Google, you might look for a referral, but you're probably going to start on a search. So there are franchisors that will own that. They will be like, you give us your dollars. We're doing that for you. We're going to get your phone to ring. And then oftentimes those same franchisors will then answer your phone through a national call center. So if they're getting the phone to ring and then answering the phone, and in some cases like simple business like mosquito spray for your backyard, right? This is not rocket science, right? So these national call center people are trained to get that customer's credit card. They can talk them through their objections. Now, every franchisee buys a protected territory via zip code. So they field that caller back to you via the zip code that they came from, and they can take that customer's credit card and inset, insert them right into your routing schedule. So as the owner of that business, you're not manning phones. You don't need an office outside of your home. So it can be, quote, home-based. But it, what you're going to be doing then is just, you know, leading, hiring, and then managing trucks and techs who go and spray backyards for mosquitoes, right? So, you again, you may be out in the community doing what I call the whale hunting, like going to those property managers, commercial property owners, or apartment complexes, looking for those kind of B2B relationships that are going to be a bigger job that you can spray. And you're, that, that requires kind of a little bit of, you know, a relationship through sales. But then you're, the marketing leads are generating all of your residential customers, which is your bread and butter. So that's the kind of business that when the franchisor is taking on that much back end for you, they know that they are attracting executive owners who want to come in and buy five territories. Because this is going to be easy to scale because you're not driving a truck, right? So people who have bigger investment um, capability but have bigger investment looking for a higher return and they want to be leveraged through systems and technology and people. And there are a whole bunch of options in that space all the way to, since we're talking to real, real estate investors, you know, the laundromat space is a great example of almost passive. So a laundromat is going to be a really big capital investment. And, and this is part of when I'm teaching people what their money buys. I'm going to, I'm going to explain to them and show them with examples like how money and time are inversely related in most cases. So the lower the investment of money going in, the bigger the investment of owner time commitment. So typically those home-based businesses that are like, you know, 60, 80,000 all in, those are owners waking up every day to drive activity. On the flip side, you take like a million dollar build out of a laundromat, right? Big space, washer, dryer, all the plumbing, electrical. But once it's open, I mean, how many hours is an owner putting in? Five hours a week to collect coins, manage, you know, maybe if you have a fluff and fold service, a, a couple of people who attendants who are there. Um, super simple business, right? So, and then there's just a million shades of gray in between there, all kinds of options. This is such a fascinating, like I could really overwhelm myself, I think as, as a lot of listeners, I'm sure probably could uh, just trying to figure out like, oh man, that would be cool. This would be cool. Uh, I, I have to put it down. Uh, so are there any, any major pitfalls that you see new franchisees, like anything that, any snags that you see people hit on a fairly regular basis with, with this when they're new? 
yeah, you know what happens? So people get, they are focused on their goals when they work with me to select the right franchise. And then they say yes to the dream and they go to training and then they forget about their goals. I'm like a business without a goal is like a ship without navigation. So if you're not waking up every day, knowing with clarity what your goals are for that day, what I call my daily goal, <laughs> sorry, I can be so corny, but when, you, <laughs> when you've got, you've got your, your, you know, your gross sales for the year broken down into 12 months, broken down into, you know, four weeks, and then even all the way down to your daily goal. And you, you can execute with simplicity and with clarity. I mean, that's, that's what's going to make you, number one, feel in control. That's what's going to help your attitude remain positive and high because you know exactly how you have to perform or how your team has to perform on a daily basis versus a monthly or quarterly. So what happens, Avery, is people go to training and then they sort of like go numb, I think. They just go... It, a little bit's fear. You feel a little paralyzed. It's overwhelming. You're drinking from a fire hose. You don't really know where to focus. There's a lot to learn, a big learning curve to get up. And so they just start like acting out and not thinking about what they want to create, right? They start reacting instead of proactively driving the behavior and the, the culture of the company. And that sets business owners up for a lot of heartache. I think the six month to 18 month window is the make or break for any franchisee, for any business owner. The first six months, like it's a honeymoon. It's like when you have a baby, right? Even if your baby isn't sleeping, you're like, oh, okay, right? But like past six months, if the kid's not sleeping, you're out of your freaking mind, right? <laughs> you're like, go to sleep because I'm going to kill you. Well, the same thing in a business. Once you get past that honeymoon period, right? And you're not feeling in control and you're like, your money is going out, especially if you're not yet, you know, if you have a business that's a slower to ramp, I think that's when the panic starts to creep in. And then people just focus on what they're not getting or what they thought they were owed or what isn't happening. But guess what happens when they focus on that? They just create more of it. So a lot of the back-end coaching that I do, so I've been a business owner for 25 years. I'm a little older than you. <laughs> I wish I was 34, but I'm 50. So I, I started my first business at 25. It was not a franchise. I joined the company that I'm a part of now when I was 29. And I've been doing this for about 20 years now. So, and it is a franchise. So I'm a franchisee. I walk the talk that I'm kind of quote, selling to people every day. I live the life. Um, but- what was my point? Um, you know, I, I wake up with my daily goals every day and that's enabled me to go from, you know, being kind of all over the place when I was a young franchisee, when I tell people these stories and I do, I offer them this back end coaching, it always kind of comes from an organic place because I was that out of control, you know, panicked. What am I doing? Inconsistently producing franchisee for eight freaking years. Like I just kept creating the same craziness. And then I got tired of it. And I said, there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way or I'm getting out of this. So I kind of like slowed myself down and got hyper-focused on, okay, looking at my business model and saying, what really would generate the greatest result for me? And for me and my business, it was prospecting. 
So I stopped focusing on the people that were taking a job instead of saying yes at the 11th hour and the heartache that that used to cause me, you know, and I, and all of that other stuff that going on in my business. And all I did was change my focus. And what that did was change my attitude because now I felt in control because I could control this part. And when my attitude was high and consistent, guess what happened to my results? They were high and consistent. And one year later, this was back in 2011, I built a history-making business, the largest franchise consulting business in the history of the entire industry. So when I did that, and I know what I used to do, which I more importantly, I, knew, I know what I did not do. <laughs> and what I've done for the last 10 plus years now that's enabled me to break my own history again and again and again, it really helps me coach my people to your question of what are the pitfalls? People think it's about, oh, I have to have the great territory. It's the franchisor's job to make me successful. It's not. It's not. Success is an inside job. And it all funnels back to what are your goals? And you getting clear and then being able to hold yourself accountable to what you have to do every day, which is ownership. <laughs> Yeah, that so guys, if you take nothing else away from this episode, whether it is being a franchisee, running a business, investing in real estate, anything, it is not anyone else's job to make you successful. It is your job. Other people can guide you and provide resources or maybe set an example, but it's your job to make yourself successful. So really, really great nugget there. And Kim, I think that brings us to the end of our show. We ask the same three questions to everyone uh, that comes on our show at the end. The first one is, what advice would you give 20-year-old Kim? Okay, this is great. A great question. So the advice I would give to myself is the advice I just gave to have a dream and never stop believing in your dreams. So a little story. When I was 15 years old, I, I grew up in the Miss America pageant organization. I was in talent shows. I loved an audience. I always wanted to be on stage. I wanted to be a motivational speaker and a role model and influence people and just help people. But like, how do you do that? So I was a straight A student. I said, no, I'm going to go to med school. So I went to med school. I was on my way to med school. I answered a classified ad in the newspaper for a franchising job. They ended up offering, it was a part-time job. They ended up offering me a full-time job. And I thought that this was a total deviation from my life of going on to help people and be in medicine. And one day when I was about 40 years old, I was in a hotel about to do host a live event, which is how I used to do it before I had YouTube. And I was sitting in the hotel, getting ready to go inspire some people to think about franchising. And I was like, well, look at me. I'm kind of like a motivational speaker. <laughs> I got a stage and an audience and an opportunity to influence people. And Avery, it was like this full circle moment. Like I never gave up on that dream. I just didn't know how I could do it. So it was always back there, but like God in his infinite wisdom, like used everything in my life to weave that entire story together. And what I thought was a deviation, it took me right down the path where I always was meant to be. So 20 year old Kim, you got to just have that dream and believe that with time, patience, and persistence, you can achieve it. 
Great answer. And next question along the same lines, and you've already given quite a bit of this advice. So maybe you just want to underline something that you've already said. What advice, we normally say, what advice do you have for a new investor getting started today? But let's say a new potential franchisee getting started today. Yeah, the same thing. The clarity of your dreams will determine your success. How high you want to go, it's all up to you. Create a dream, to create the plan, put your head down, stop arguing for your limitation and just execute. Over time, you'll figure it out. Like you'll overcome your own objections over time if you don't quit. Also very great advice. And last question, what is your favorite book that's impacted your mindset? Oh my gosh, I'm a super avid reader. Um, so for a while I committed myself, it was about three years. I set a timer on my phone and it would remind me on the first day of every month, I would audible Earl Nightingale's book, The Strangest Secret. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. It's a free YouTube video, 25 minute audible book. I've paid my kids. I have teenage boys. I have paid them to audible it. It's a life changing book. It literally is how your thoughts become things and that we speak our words into life. Our lives are a reflection of the words that we speak. And so do not argue against yourself. Don't talk about why things are not working out. Talk about what is working out and you will bring about more of what you want. When you talk about what you don't want, you bring about more of that. It is a life-changing book that will literally change you. It will convict you every time you hear yourself, you know, like you get around some people in your life and they just want to like be negative. And I, you have to like, kind of like go there sometimes, but if you can't, if you can try to be the one that raises the group to a positive place. That's what I try to do is just not add to that, but how can I spin this in a different direction and get people to a higher elevation? Because nothing good is going to come from that anyway. It's a great recommendation. Nobody has recommended that one yet. So I'll have to check it out. I haven't read it myself. It's free. I did it for like three years on the first day of the month. I just would audible it and audible and audible it because I wanted to commit the principles to my memory and not be forget about them, you know, because a book is only good if you, you know, you take something from it, but if you actually use what you're learning from it. Right. Yeah. So that's for me, it was, it was a very, very, it's been a very important book in my life. Awesome. Well, I will definitely check that out. And Kim, so if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, follow you on social media, become a client, how do they do that? Where do they do that? Okay. The best place really is through my YouTube channel at Kim Daily, D-A-L-Y, KimDaily.tv. I have over 400 videos and growing on all things franchising, mindset coaching, business ownership, so many resources there, interviews with top franchisors and top franchisees. And all of my contact information can also be found on the YouTube channel. You can go to my website where you can contact me directly. But I think if you funnel to YouTube, that's a very good place to begin. Sorry, I couldn't get my mic off mute. Uh, yeah, well, thank you so, so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. I found this super valuable. I'm definitely going to go follow you on YouTube now because I have a lot of questions and um, this is going to be the next thing that I obsess over for a few months, maybe, maybe actually end up doing it. So uh, thanks again so much, Kim. I think this is some really, really valuable information. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Avery. Thank you so much. <laughs> thanks.